Welcome to WeChat Divorce with Karen Shalou, Legal Liaison, and Katherine Shanahan, CDFA, co-founders of My Divorce Solution, the company that delivers the quintessential financial blueprint to couples facing or going through the divorce process. This blueprint, known as the MDS Financial Portrait, establishes the foundation and options an individual or couple would need to make clear financial decisions when considering divorce. Each podcast, Catherine and Karen sit down with divorce professionals and other individuals who provide insight and frank discussion about real people, real situations, and real divorce. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I are honored today to welcome attorney Rebecca Zung to our podcast. In this episode, we're going to discuss how to negotiate with a narcissist. But first, let me take a couple minutes to introduce Rebecca. Rebecca is a narcissism negotiation expert and one of the top 1% of attorneys in the nation. Having been recognized by U.S. News and World Report as best lawyer in America, she is the author of two best-selling books. Her perspectives are in high demand by television and print outlets, and she's been featured in or on Extra, Forbes, Huffington Post, Newspeak, Time, Dr. Drew, NPR Talk Radio, Good Day New York, and CBS Los Angeles, among others. That's amazing. Now, based in Los Angeles, she is continuing to serve through her very popular YouTube channel, media appearances, podcast articles, and on-demand programs such as S-L-A-Y, Slay, Your Negotiation with a Narcissist, and Breaking Free Divorce Masterclasses. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you both. So I don't know if you're listening, if you're feeling like me, that your stomach is filled with butterflies. You're either really excited to talk about this narcissistic viewpoint, or you're really nervous listening to this. <laughs> either way, how did you uh, how did you come into focusing on negotiating with narcissists? Well, it's a little bit, uh, you know, it's sort of like everything you've ever done prepares you for this one moment, and I kind of feel that way with me. I had been a divorce lawyer for a long time. I did high net worth divorce in Naples, Florida, which is a um, a affluent community. So I represented billionaires and celebrities and all that. And obviously there was a narcissist or two in there. Um, And so I represented narcissists. I had been on the other side of them. I have, you know, had them as opposing counsel or even judges sometimes. And I had been focusing on learning how to negotiate for a really long time. I needed to, you know, back when I first started my own practice, I was like looking for a way to develop my practice and, and you know, get more clients. And so I developed a, a, um, a talk on how to negotiate, period, not with narcissists, just how to negotiate. And I, get, I gave that talk to every rotary between Tampa and Marco Island, um, every single women's group. I mean, I've like given that talk a thousand times. I've even done it as the keynote speaker for the American Bar Association. I wrote a book on negotiation. Robert Shapiro wrote the foreword. So I was really thinking I was going to focus more on teaching people how to negotiate in general. I was looking for something else to do other than 
you know, the day-to-day grind of practicing law. And um, I just thought that that was going to be my thing. Well, come to find out that I was dealing with two narcissists in my personal life. One was in my business life in, in a little business that I had started with someone which didn't go anywhere, thank God. But the person was around and in my space long enough to wreak havoc and cause lots of drama, trauma, and chaos. And um, and then I had a family member who was a narcissist. And so um, somebody had pointed it out to me and recommended that I, I read a book on it. And I was reading this book on the airplane with my husband and I was literally like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Every page was like blowing my mind that this was what I was dealing with with these two people. And so I started reading everything I could get my hands on, hundreds of books, which, you know, behind me, you can see some of them. I mean, literally got my, you know, practical PhD or whatever you want to call it. Like, (laughs) you know, I just basically read everything I possibly could on it. And that's when I started to realize that I could actually apply my knowledge of negotiation to what I was learning about the personality of a narcissist. And I actually started to see movement and I started to see actual things happening for people in negotiations. So that's how I came about it. I started doing it on YouTube. Um, I now have, I don't know, close to 9 million views and close to 150,000 subscribers in just over a year. So that's awesome. I mean, you can imagine in divorce when an individual who may have the narcissistic traits feels like they're losing control. When we empower the other spouse with some financial clarity, you know, we see this all the time. So there's, it's almost in every divorce case where when financial clarity is upon somebody else, there's a lot of nervousness on the other side. Why? I don't know. But I know that probably every one of our clients or almost everyone would love to follow your channel. <laughs> yeah, they yeah. can find me. If they put in negotiate with a narcissist, I'll be popping right up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I, I feel most, not, I guess most people when they're entering divorce, one spouse or the other fully believes that they're divorcing a narcissist. So how do you break that down with, like you had told us before we hopped on this show that there is actually a diagnosis, but there's also tendencies and behavior. So how does someone break that down and understand it a little bit more? I know we only have half an hour here, but um, you know, can you touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So, I mean, reasonable people want to come to a resolution. They don't want to spend lots and lots of money on lawyers. They want to be able to have peace in their lives. They want to be able to move on. Yes, they want to get a, an outcome that's fair, but there's they, they're interested in having a conversation on how to come to a resolution. You'll know right away if you're dealing with a narcissistic type of a person because Instead of trying to figure out how to come to a resolution, they are ratcheting it up. They're filing motions all the time. They're refusing to provide financial disclosure. They are using the court system as a sword. They're lying and pleadings. They are offering settlements. And then as soon as you say yes to it, they change it and they blame it on you. Uh, And it goes on and on and on. And it's like, you know, five years and $400,000 later, you're still doing this. That's when you're dealing with a narcissist. Yeah, that's incredible. 
So how do you equip yourself in that scenario? Wow, that's a really um, lot big question. It seems like a simple question, but it's actually a big question because that's all like part of what I teach in Slay, which is build strategy, create leverage, anticipate what they're going to do and be two steps ahead of them and focus on you, your case and your position. That's what Slay stands for. And so in the program, I teach people actually how to do documentation the proper way. I mean, a lot of people say document, 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 which I agree with, but um, there's certain things you want to make sure you're focusing on. There's a way to organize it. There's a way to find, look for patterns and um, you, and then all of that becomes your leverage uh, so that you could potentially motivate them and, and incentivize them to want to come to the table you have to understand that narcissists are driven by one thing and that's narcissistic supply. That's it. And so settling the case doesn't give them narcissistic supply. They get supply from jerking you around and intimidating you and moving the goalposts and thinking it's a big game. Um, so they have no incentive to want to resolve it unless you give them other incentive to want to resolve it. Yeah, I always say whenever we do the portrait with our, our couples or our individuals, if they come by themselves, you know, when you know all your options and you know the components to all those options, you're able to make a compromise. But you're able to make a compromise knowing that either position will be acceptable to you, but you let the other side choose their narcissist because they always want to win, right? So when you have financial clarity, you can say, I'll be okay with either of these scenarios. So you put it back in their hands and just let them pick one because you're not, you're okay with either side, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's one way you could go about it, but you know, if you were dealing with a really malignant narcissist, they're going to say neither. And because neither is, you know, I mean, really just because they just want to like screw you. I mean, um, but they'll come up with some reason why neither works and, or they'll pick the parts that they like and, and keep those like, oh yes, I'll definitely take this, this, and this, the parts that you're offering that are good for them, but the parts that you want, you know, they don't want to do. And, and then they'll try to hold you to the part that you were offering um, even though they didn't want it. <laughs> I see Karen so like true. nodding her head. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. We see that all the time. So how do, what are some ways that people can disarm a narcissist? Uh, well, I think there's a couple of different ways that you have to look at it. I mean, there's the way to disarm them when you're just having a conversation with them and you're just trying to communicate with them on a day-to-day -day basis. And then there's ways to disarm them in the actual negotiation process too. So I think it just kind of depends on what it is that you're dealing with. But just for a com from a communication point of view, I think there's a number of different ways. All of them require though that you learn how to at least control your emotions while you're in that interaction. So that's why it's really important to either be super brief or have big, you know, strong boundaries. Um, and then when you are interacting with them, you are not taking the bait because they constantly are trying to trigger you. They want you to say something or do something that they can turn around and use against you. You know, as soon as you say, ah, you know, this, whatever, like, there you go, there's a potential trial exhibit for them. So, 
you know, you got to be really careful about how you respond. And so I just, I, I, um, advise people to be um, very brief in their interactions. And so like you, you can have a tactical response to an email, for example, like if there's a really long email about what a deadbeat you are and you're a horrible person and, you know, whatever it is that they're, their diatribe of the day. And there's maybe one line in there that you actually need to respond to, like about what time to pick up the kids or something like that. You can just say, thank you for your email. I am in response of it. Um, I deny your allegations and you can pick up Susie at three o'clock on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, you've denied it. You you don't need to go point by point. Are you kidding me? I'm a wonderful mother or I'm this, that and the other thing that, you know, never try to justify, explain or overshare just, you know, I've, I've received this. I deny it. Here's the only thing I need to respond to. And that can be so empowering when you know that you don't need to respond to every single thing. That's so true. And it's so important to try it for the first time. You know, it's really difficult if you're trained in a long-term relationship and you're so used to that type of toxic interaction to actually do that the first time is empowering, but it's scary. So if you're out there and you're listening, it is scary, but do it, you know, less is more in a lot of these situations. Um, And you will feel really good about that because they won't know how to respond to you. I agree. That's great. So take that same communication style. And if you're in person or you're with them and you're having to talk to them on a, on the phone or, you know, the exchange of the children or whatever, what can you do to disarm in a live setting? Some tips, obviously there's probably a million. Yeah. I, in my course, I have 50 key phrases to disarm a narcissist. So, um, (laughs) but you know, you just remember like wherever you can kind of almost become an observer, almost like you're reporting the news, like, you know, I can see that you are upset or you are entitled to that opinion, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm sorry that, um, that that is your opinion, or I'm sorry that that's how you feel or something like that. Um, I mean, you can even use words like I agree, even though there's like kind of a, a trick that I, I, I tell people to use, which is, I agree that that is your opinion, you know, so you're agreeing with them and they hear, I agree, but you're not saying anything really yeah. <laughs> like I hear what you're saying. Um, and, and that's it. And, and not, and it's just, it's almost like there's this invisible shield where you're not, in, you know, getting emotional. Um, so, you know, one of the other things I tell people to do is maybe sometimes if you know, you're going to have a conversation, set an agenda, uh, ahead of time, you know, like we will talk and that this is what we will talk about. We're not talking about this, this, and this, we're going to talk about that. And, um, and, you know, and, and maybe figure out a way to get in and out of that conversation by setting a time limit ahead of time or saying you have to leave for work or you have to go take a shower or, you know, whatever, um, whatever you need to do to kind of feel like you're in control of that conversation ahead of time. That just psychologically can help, too. Yeah. And, and writing things down and having it right in front of you is also very comforting because you can always resort back to reading it off your paper. You know, yeah. and, and learning to walk away, you know, walk away when you have to. Yep. 
right? So that's really big too. Again, another scary thing to do. (laughs) (laughs) But it sounds like what you do in your courses and in your teachings is empowering them with boundaries so that they can just start to enclose themselves in a safe place of sorts when they're engaging with a narcissist who doesn't have their best interests at heart. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's just part of the whole strategy for communication. I mean, I also teach how to, you know, do the research, create the strategy, figure out, you know, your diagnosis, your guiding Mm -hmm. vision, your guiding policy, your action plan, you know, all of that. But around the communication piece of it, for sure. I mean, it's all about reducing your, um, your, your exposure to that toxicity because, you know, they, they work on your neuronal patterns and your brain waves and things. And so it's almost like deprogramming yourself in order to try to heal from it. And so getting out of that is so important because if you get sucked back in and there, you know, it almost kind of like slides you back as far as you're healing from that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't happen overnight. You know, when you walk away, you, like you just said, you have to retrain your own mind. I mean, I'm talking personally here now. So when you walk out of that situation, a lot of times people who do not heal, they end up in another relationship with someone similar to that same pattern. You know, it took me two and a half years to get through my process of healing. Mm -hmm. Right. So, and thankfully I met my current husband after that time period, but it really is that you're so easily triggered to go back to a, a pattern. Um, yeah, so you really need to give yourself that time and and that process. Well, yeah, that and, and process. I, I, I do want to mention um, that part of the reason why you become so trauma bonded to them is because of that cycle of love bombing, devaluing, and discarding. They throw in those strategically placed love bombs, and every time they do that, you get a dopamine hit in your brain. There's actually a study with. Um, Robert Sapolsky had done a study on monkeys and if he gave them a treat every single time, their dopamine levels in their brains did nothing, but intermittently giving them a treat or a reward, just the anticipation of getting it had the dopamine levels in their brain rise to a level of cocaine. And so it actually, you, you become physiologically addicted to this person because of the, that, that it's, it's way more toxic than somebody who's just toxic all the time. That's so Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So tell me this, are people born with a narcissistic behavior or is it a learned trait? So, you know, I, I do say I'm not a psychologist, but from what I have read and what I have studied and learned, and I've interviewed a bunch of psychologists, my understanding is that they um, are not born that way, that they are created. And it, so it's, it's nurture, not nature, that it happens at some point during their formation as a child where they came to a conclusion that, you know, the world is a scary place, that they're not good enough, that, you know, they're, they have to be in survival at all times in order to, to, to live. And so they, they, psychologically live there. And it's, I think it's very subconscious, but, um, you know, it's either that they were traumatized in some way as a child, or I've also heard that, um, extreme overindulgence, um, can cause it as well, because, you know, children, 
actually want boundaries. They want their parents to care. And by extremely overindulging them, they don't feel like they were worth anything. So I, I think it's both. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm hope my kids are glad that I was so strict. <laughs> Mine too. Yeah. Well, I have a curious question. Have, you know, do you ever, have you gone up against other attorneys for a case that are narcissists? And how did you oh, handle that? Part of the reason yeah. why I'm glad I don't practice on a full-on basis anymore because um, I, I couldn't stand them. I mean, right. there's certain opposing counsel that I would have to tell my clients, well, they hired so-and-so, so it's going to be twice as expensive because she's going to fight every single thing. You know, um, I just, I, there's certain ones that I just could not stand because of that. Yeah. 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 And it's to we the client and the family's detriment. It's to everyone's detriment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. you know, I have to say, like, I, I always sort of half jokingly, but not really jokingly that, you know, p- people are like, you know, dogs and their dog owners. They always seem to find the lawyer that's just like them. Wow. Yeah, that's so true. Or they find one that's like their partner because they're, they're actually, like you said, addicted to that type of personality. You know, so they almost feel like that person will put up with their spouse, you know, so they're being bullied. I mean, I see clients being bullied by their own attorneys, you know, it's because of the relationship they had with their spouse. So they're used to that. They don't see it as it being wrong. Um, Yeah, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. That is the way it is. Um, Yeah, it's so interesting. It's really very interesting. So on that note, can you really get a narcissist to negotiate successfully? Mm, I've had done it many thousands of times, actually. Uh, it, it, you know, they're actually the simplest people to understand. I mean, they're heinous to deal with, but they're actually very easy to understand. I mean, they're they're only motivated and incentivized by one thing, and that's narcissistic supply. You know, regular people are are motivated by lots of different things. You know. Um, it might be time with your children or it might be, you know, flexible schedule or whatever, but you know, with them, it's not, it's always that one thing. That's the thing they keep coming back to. Um, and then just understanding that there's a hierarchy of narcissistic supply. So there's like their, their diamond level grade a source of supply, which is their image and how they look and the outside, you know, um, looking in, like, what are people thinking of them? And, and um, especially people that they respect. So in the court system, it'll be definitely the judge or, um, you know, the lawyers or maybe the mediator or something like that. They want to make sure that they look good and, and the other person looks like the bad one. Um, and, and, you know, with narcissists, it's all like black and white, like you're either for them or against them, or you're either like the best or you're the worst, you know? So, um, so that's, you know, um, the grade A level. And then the uh, coal level, which I call coal level, which is like the, the it, it burns and it gives them energy, but it's not as good as the diamond level. And that is like jerking you around, you know, degrading you, devaluing you, making you squirm, scaring you, all those sorts of things. They get supply from that as well. So the key is to create a, 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 a leverage situation that sort of ethically manipulates the manipulator by <laughs> threatening a source of narcissistic supply that means more to them to keep than the supply that they get from jerking you around. 
Wow. Love that. Yeah, that's so good. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we kind of apply that to our financial portrait, you know, giving people the uh, courage to request the information and to understand the information financially um, really empowers them to stand stronger and let their attorneys, if they have to do their job of being aggressive, because they're understanding what their, their rights are and they're understanding what the financial outcome will be. And nobody expects somebody who's married to a narcissist to have that courage or to be able to state what they want because they don't understand financially what they've ever had. So I, I love applying all of that to the financial clarity that everybody needs before they get divorced. Totally. Yeah. So another question that we have here is what kind of tricks do they play and how can you identify a trick that a narcissist would like to pull on someone else? Or, or on your spouse or on you during the divorce. During the divorce. Yeah. yeah. Um, they manipulate text messages. Um, you know, they lie about things, even things that are readily verifiable and even things that are um, things they don't necessarily need to lie about, but they just do because that's just their way of being. Um, so, you know, I had a case where the wife who I think is more than just a narcissist. I think she might've had borderline or some other issues, but, you know, in the middle of the night, one, one o'clock in the morning, she, um, gets into this fight with her 15 year old son. She throws him out of the house with all of his stuff. Um, it was, you know, like 30 degrees outside. It was, you know, in the, you know, Northeast part of the country in winter. And, uh, so, you know, the kid calls his dad and says, come get me. I'm like outside on the curb with all my stuff. Uh, dad, go, go, you know, goes over there in the middle of the night, gets him, brings him back to the house. The next morning gets an email from the mother saying, this is probably for the best. You should call the bus, uh, and, and let them know to pick him up over there by you for a while. So he does that. And a couple of weeks later, she files a motion in court, sworn testimony saying that he kidnapped the child, refuses to return the child, um, you know, and it's just like flat out lie. Um, and she even sent an email saying, you know, we'll change the bus. I mean, so but that's the kind of thing that they do. And, and, and it's, it's maddening because it costs you money. Yeah. Right. And anybody can make a claim about anything and you have to defend that in court if that's where it's taken up. And I think a lot of people don't understand that, but at the end of the day, that's your only choice is defending that claim. That's incredible. Well, it's terrible too, because the yeah. child's sitting there saying, what the hell's going on here? You know, and so they're growing up realizing who am I, how am I dealing with this? Who am I dealing with? Right. And, and yeah. it's unfortunate. It's horrible because then a lot of times those are the parents that refuse to allow counseling for the child too. Yeah. Exactly. You know, we talk about that a lot with, um, you know, even custodian plans, 529 plans, you know, you might have that spouse who's the custodian on that account. So years later, they're using that account to manipulate their child. Mm. So, you know, it wasn't talked about before because it was never identified that they had this trait. So it's something that people should consider, you know, who's going to be the custodian if something like that happens. Because now mm. the kid, again, is being manipulated instead of the spouse. 
because the spouse is no longer married to them. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. Yeah. It's a hard thing. Yeah. So it sounds like your programs really take people through the breadth and width of understanding it, identifying and responding to it. So Mm -hmm. where can people learn more about your programs and, and what they offer? Well, I have a free gift for everyone. Um, They can get um, a free crush my negotiation prep worksheet, which is 15 pages. It's basically an ebook. It's actually a really nice free gift. Um, and they can get that at winmynegotiation.com. So I made a nice, easy URL so people can remember. It's winmynegotiation.com. And so I would start there. Definitely check out my YouTube channel. Totally free, obviously, as well. Um, Rebecca Zung ESQ is the, it's youtube.com forward slash Rebecca Zung ESQ. And, um, or just put in negotiating with the narcissist. You'll find me right there for sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. And Instagram is Rebecca song, you know, my books, whatever. I mean, you know, I would start with the, uh, YouTube channel as well as the free worksheet. That's fantastic. That's really great. Um, I had something I was going to say and it went right out of my head. Oh, I know what I was going to say. All of this will be in the show notes below the podcast. So don't feel like you have to remember that. We'll have that all laid out when we're promoting so that you can easily click through to um, learn more about Rebecca's programs. So this concludes our episode on negotiating or communicating with a narcissist. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for being with us today and having this great conversation. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. It's been great.